Bibles this morning and open to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. I'm going to briefly look at Matthew chapter 1 this morning, verses 21 through 23. And just think together here as we draw the Christmas season to a close and as we look forward to a new year ahead at what it means that God actually came and dwelled with us. The implications of what we've all just celebrated in the last 24 hours, what it has meant for this season and the impact that it has upon our life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll dive into the text this morning. Our gracious Father and our God, we come before You. We worship You as the King of all, as Lord of all. We worship You, Lord Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, as Emmanuel, God with us, as our Savior, as our High Priest, as our friend, as our brother. As has been read in Hebrews this morning, You are not ashamed of us. And that is in itself simply staggering. That You are not ashamed to call us Your brothers. How perfect You are, how perfect Your work is, how perfect Your Word is. As we stop this morning to contemplate who You are. We worship You, Holy Spirit. Precious, divine gift of God sent forth by the Son to comfort us, to guide us to convict us, to create new life and faith within us, to secure and seal us for the final day when we stand before the Father face to face, clothed in the righteousness of the Son, brought home by the Spirit. We worship You, Father, Son, and Spirit this morning. We ask that You would be glorified in our thoughts. We pray, Father, that You would empower and accompany the Word which You have inspired, written, and preserved. That it would go forth and find its place in our minds, in our hearts, in our affections. We might live unto Your glory in the new year in ways that we didn't in the previous year. We pray this all for Your sake and for Your glory alone. Amen. We read in Matthew's account of the birth of Christ these particularly powerful verses. The Holy Spirit inspiring these words, the angel coming to Joseph and telling Joseph what is to be. You can imagine the shock of this young man. And he says this to Joseph, speaking of Mary, she will bear a son. And you shall call His name Jesus. For He will save His people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. And shall bear a son. And they shall call His name Emmanuel. Which translated means God with 
us. We sing, as I mentioned a moment ago, so many great truths in every line, it seems, of these Christmas hymns. We sing along the lines and along the theme of one of my favorite lines from the hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And we sing these words, Born to set thy people free. Born to set thy people free. Born thy people to deliver. That's the purpose of Jesus' coming. We know that. We say that. We teach that to our children. But the fact that Jesus came and He took upon Himself our humanity, that that God of very God came and dwelled with us And everything about the life of Emmanuel, everything about the life of Jesus has meaning to the end that He came to set us free. And so it's hard to look at a passage like Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 to 23 and just simply see that as somehow Joseph needing information. It's beyond that. Beyond that, uh, Joseph is not curious as to what the boy's name's going to be. In fact, I would quite imagine that Joseph, that was the least of his concerns at the moment. <laughs> Giving the magnitude of having a woman who he'd not yet known being with child and all the, the potential for scandal that might include and the shock of being a, an earthly father to care for Mary and for this child. Joseph must have had a million thoughts running through his mind. I don't think he was thinking at that point yet, what are we going to name him? And here the angel comes by divine commission from God Himself. He says, no, Joseph, let's start with the name. Because in the name is meaning. In the name is power. In the name is, is something of so great and important that, that it's going to define the reason He's even here. It's going to define everything about what He does. And we need to know that. We're going into not only a year of great uncertainty. We're going into a week of great uncertainty. This has, been a, this has been a very difficult Christmas season for many people who are here this morning, some who aren't here this morning, others who are connected in our, to our church in one way or the other. It's been difficult. Having to bury your 15-year-old daughter. It's difficult. Having to bury an aunt is difficult. Having to put your mother and grandmother into hospice is difficult. And yet we as a church are facing all of those things in the coming days. We need more than ever to be assured and to know what it means that Emmanuel has been here. What does it mean that God has been with us? What does it mean that He has come to save His people from their sin and so fundamental to his coming, to his mission. Those truths are that he is given a name that means those very things. There's great importance to that. 
Brothers and sisters, it's time that we just pause where we are in our lives, where we are, and to drill down and to live like we know these truths. Live like we believe these truths. Live as though these truths really matter. And ultimately, these are the only truths that matter. That God has condescended to us and condescended in such a way that He solves and remedies the greatest problem we have. There is no greater truth that we can know. There is no greater need that we have than to know those things and to believe those things and to live like we believe those things. It changes everything. And as we've dealt with the past week and the sadness that it's brought, this this thought has continually reoccurred to me. I mean, what what a difficult time any time would be to suffer what we have seen our loved ones suffer. But especially at Christmas. But yet, maybe this is the best time of year to suffer those things in some ways because we're freshly reminded of what Matthew is saying. There is hope. There is something more important than Christmas traditions. There is something more important than gifts that were given and gifts that were received. There is something far more important. And it is true today. It was true this past week. It will be true in the week to come. It will be true in the year to come. That There are great truths that are associated with the coming of Jesus, with His mission wrapped up in His name, that we need to know. We need to believe and we need to live like we know and believe those things. What does it do for you, Christian, to know that God Himself came to be with you? God Himself condescended to take on the humanity in its fullness that was created by Him, that was marred in the fall by us, yet He did it without sin in order to redeem you. What what does that mean for us? Well, it's not just a question. It's not rhetorical in nature. It's not something that we just talk about. It is something that we must live. And I'll tell you, there are days in life, there have been days in this past year, there will be days in the year to come, I'm sure, where if you aren't living like this, you have no hope. It makes all the difference in the world, Christian. It makes every difference. In fact, Friday morning I went over to see Courtney and April's grandmother and their mom after losing their aunt and sister and daughter. And, and, and you never know walking into a house where a loved one has just passed away just hours before. You don't know what you're walking into exactly. It's, it's quite the unknown. But when I walked into... Mrs. Peden's house, there was just an instant peace, a calm. Sure, there's sadness. Sure, there are tears. But they know, and we know, that's not the end of the story. There, there can be hope and there can be peace. 
And this is the truth. We must live in a world that is broken by sin, that is plagued by death, that is plagued by difficulties, but no difficulty greater than our sin that Jesus came to remedy. And so I want us to just think this morning about two points, two things, two truths that that come rising to the top of the truths that Matthew chapter 1 gives us. This is the cream as it rises to the top, if you will. And the first is so obvious. It is in His name. It is Jesus. For He has come and He will save His people. Now, God wastes no words and God is not ambiguous in the words that He uses. Notice how he explains, the angel does, to Joseph. She is going to bear a son. That is a fact. Joseph, it's going to happen. And you are going to call his name Jesus. And then there is a third statement of definitive nature. And he says this, he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, there is no ambiguity in what is about to happen. Jesus is not coming for the possibility of salvation. Jesus is not coming for the probability of salvation. Jesus is coming for the certainty of salvation. He will save His people from their sins. Now We oftentimes go, and rightly so, to the Gospel of John and to Jesus' final statement on the cross at Easter when Jesus cries out with a loud voice, It is finished and our hearts swell with the joy that the debt has just been canceled and we comfort ourselves and we comfort others in the hope that sin has been vanquished and that to all who believe in the lord jesus christ they no longer stand guilty before the father we rejoice in that certitude in that certainty don't we But you know, we don't have to wait until the end of Jesus' life to have that certainty. We had it at the beginning. He will save His people from their sins. God has had a plan from eternity past in covenantal grace and structure within the Trinity to redeem a people for His own pleasure for His own glory. And the angel says to Joseph, Jesus is the means by which this is happening. There is no chance of failure. There is no ambiguity about it. He is going to save people. His people. The people I have given Him. And not one will be lost. But Joseph didn't know that part of the story yet. It would take Jesus maturing into adulthood before we knew that part of the story but jesus says of all that the father has given me i lose nothing it's impossible jesus himself will go on to say different points in his ministry recorded different ways by the writers of the gospel who attested himself but he says in mark chapter 10 and verse 45 i came Not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. 
You want to know why I'm here? This is why I'm here. Are you confused? Did you think I was supposed to usher in an earthly kingdom? Did you think I was supposed to conquer by military might? No, I am here to ransom a people. Just like the angel told my earthly father, Joseph. That's what's going to happen. I'm not here to be served. I'm not here to be lauded. I'm here simply to give my life as the ransom payment for many. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus asserts and affirmed these truths with great certitude. Again, He says, For the Son of Man has come to do what? Seek and to save that which was lost. Something that had previously belonged to Him, something that uh, was His by divine right, by divine decree, has been lost. Now Jesus has come to save and to find and to bring home that which is rightfully His, just as the angel told Joseph it would be. That's why the child has come. That's why His name is Jesus. He's come to do this. Make no mistakes about it. This This is not... Sentimental Christianity 101. This is hardcore truth. This is let it be written, let it be done. Jesus has come to save. As we said last week in our exposition of John chapter 1 and verse 14, that when Jesus came, this was no feel-good story. Born into harsh circumstances, born into difficulty, born into all that plagues humanity. And yet, He did so by invading humanity. It's not a quiet, sweet, you know, the way we've painted Christmas to be, you know, cute little nativity. This is an invasion that is a declaration of war by God upon sin. And He sent His Son to wage that war. And to win that war. And He has won the war. There's an empty tomb outside Jerusalem that tells us the war has been won. There's a coming again in which we will experience fully that the war has been won. When He once again invades this world and opens the prisons of our own bodies and there is a resurrection and there is a calling home of the people of God still alive. There is great power in this, brothers and sisters. So as we consider the words of the angel to Joseph, I, I, I want you not to view salvation in the coming year and the hope that we have as the weak, ineffectual, gospel that has been offered for far too long well would you please just say some words and would you please just do this and would you please just let jesus in and would you please and and, and if you will and maybe and, and no this is an invasion this is a war and it is a war that has been won and has been destined to be won from the beginning of time he will save his people from their sin Would you witness in the coming year like that? 
Would you preach like Jesus? Not, oh, I, I don't know. I'm kind of embarrassed to ask. You may not want to hear this, but, you know, just indulge me. Give me 30 seconds and, th- and then I'll be out of your hair. Don't approach the world that way. Preach like Jesus preached. Lovingly but boldly tell them, you must be born again. You are dead in trespasses and sins. You must come to the Father through the Son. Jesus came to save. Jesus came to save people like you who are dead in their sins, who are lost. He has come to find. Listen, Christian, let's live with the hope that, well, I hope Jesus has saved me and I hope these things are true. No, He came to save. And He has accomplished our salvation. Our assurances in Him, our assurances in these words. Our assurance is not in the words we said in response to the saving power of Jesus. That is not your assurance. Your assurance is Jesus. Your assurance is the the reality that He came and did save. It's so heartbreaking to see people wrestle through those things. I mean, I've had people tell me all kinds, well, I don't know, I didn't write down a a specific time and in my Bible, and so I don't know when I was saved. Maybe that's a problem. Maybe I'm not because I did, you know, write it down, or I don't remember the exact words. And all these, and they come, and they're just plagued by anxiety, and my heart breaks. That's not the assurance of your salvation. The assurance of your salvation is one who was born, and one who lived, and one who died, and one who was raised again. Do you believe that now? Yeah, then that's what matters. Do you believe He's keeping you now? Yes, then that's what matters. Our hope isn't tied to ourselves. Our hope isn't tied to anything other than this truth that Jesus is mighty to save. That's been the the reality all along. The angel wants Joseph to grasp this truth. This This is how it is, Joseph. Mary's carrying a warrior king who wins, who saves Joseph and Mary could not have imagined, could they? All of the truths wrapped up. All of the power wrapped up in that human body growing in her womb. The death-crushing power of the Messiah. The eternal life-giving Lamb of God. The hope of all of eternity in that baby boy. The hope of the nations. The hope of Israel. Was there. For one purpose. To save his people. From their sin. Notice what the angel goes on to say. He says now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Now, I, 
again, you can never have too much Scripture. You can never stand too squarely on Scripture. But isn't it interesting that even here, the appeal from Matthew's Gospel is back to Scripture. Matthew's not writing some new story and saying, hey, let me tell you something. He's going back. He's grounding everything he's saying in what has already been said. Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. Jesus himself and his preaching, the apostles and their preaching, repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly go back to the authority of Scripture. It has been written. It has been said. It has been codified. It has been preserved. It has been proven. And so we are reminded of that afresh in verse 22. This is no new thing. This is an old thing because you've heard about it for centuries and even millennia now that that there is a coming king. And this is the fulfillment of that king. And and I love, I know often we, we stop short of reading the account in Luke when Jesus is taking to the temple and he encounters Simeon and Anna. And I love the words of Simeon. Now let your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have beheld. What is he doing? He, he is basing, again, he is speaking on the authority of what he knew. And now he says, now I've seen what I knew. To be true all along. I've seen it with my eyes. He's like John in 1 John. That which our eyes have seen and our ears have heard and our hands have handled. The the living word of God. Simeon says, I know. I knew it would happen because I'd read the prophets. And now I can die in peace. My eyes have seen salvation. Not theoretically. Concretely. In the person of Jesus Christ. That little babe. That son. Carried by Mary. The fulfillment of the prophets. But notice what he goes on to say. He not only came to save. He came to grant life. Behold the virgin shall be with child. And shall bear a son. And they shall call his name. Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. God is with us. Seems like so very long ago that there was a place of perfection and free from sin. The Garden of Eden. And as we think about the Garden of Eden and as we think about Jesus and His saving and His, as we sing, and joy to the world, His reversal of the curse, He comes to make His blessings known as far as the curse is found and Jesus coming to bring life and ultimately restore all things back to God's created order and plan. There is that garden. And we're drawn to the beauty of creation as God intended it. As God made it in Genesis 1 and 2. And we can't help it, we're human. And God wrote it this way for us to think about these things, right? What would it have looked like? 
What would that have been like? I mean, all you have to do is look at where we live and conclude it doesn't look anything like what this looks like. Everything you step on in West Texas hurts. Everything that blows in the air hurts. Certainly isn't like where we live. But this astounding feature of the Genesis account is not all the trees. I don't believe it is. I don't think it's the animals. I don't think it's the rivers. I don't think it's the perfection even necessarily. It's who is there. Because that is the place where God came down. The text is clear. God came down and He did what? He walked the garden. And He communed with His creation that bore His image. And He walked with them. And He communed with them. And out of God, life flowed. God didn't create life and say, boom, there's life and I'll just kind of back off and let life happen on its own. No, life happens because God creates life. God still creates life. God is still sustaining life. And apart from that, nothing lives. So really the hallmark of the garden has to be that the source of life is there in the garden with His people. Communicating to them. Them finding their life and their meaning and their very existence in God. We read the Christmas story and we say, man, that is striking. Emmanuel. Do you know why we need Emmanuel? Because life in the garden ceased as it was. There was a time when Emmanuel was the most natural thing in the world. God was with man. But then because of sin, man was excommunicated from God. There was no more communing with God in that way. That was life as it was intended. God, the very source of life, coming and dwelling with man and man finding life in God and enjoying that life with God forever. And then sin came. And then death followed that. So that there was no more life, but it was death that now characterized the world. That's the truth we still live with, isn't it, brothers and sisters? For those of you who consume fine literature and fine writings, such as the Babylon Bee, You doubtless saw the headline this past week. Breaking news. Even those who are not infected with COVID still die at some point. Well, there you go. There's a news flash for you. All men die. Death is the reality of our existence. But it is not the reality of life where God is. For where God is, there can only be unending life and life flowing from him and so when when 
the angel speaks with Joseph, he's essentially saying what God intended will now come through Emmanuel. There will be life. God will be with you again. And where God is, there is life. And life more abundantly. In fact, when Jesus is there in, in, in the culmination and you, you sense, and we'll get there eventually, and John is the apex of, of John's gospel moves and as the, as the uh, uh, hatred of Jesus grows among the Jewish people, as those things escalate and Jesus gives his address of the good shepherd in John chapter 10, he says that in so many words, doesn't he? I am come that they might have life. And that they might have it abundantly. Where Messiah is, where Emmanuel is, there is life. Jesus says, that's why I'm here. That's why I've come. That's why the angel says to Joseph, Emmanuel is coming. That's not just a name. That is to say, God Himself is coming and God Himself will be with you. And you remember what it was like when God was last with you? Oh, yes. The garden before the fall. God was with us then and we lived. And we had hope. And there was life. Well, it's coming again. And it's coming through this babe named Jesus. Whose name is also Emmanuel. God has come. I want you to flip over in your Bibles to John chapter 14. Let's just fast forward, shall we? Jesus has now turned the corner in His ministry. He's no longer confronting the naysayers and the unbelievers as plague the first Twelve and a half chapters. Now he's entered into discourse with his disciples. And he says this, Do not let your heart be troubled. Verse 1, Believe in God, then believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Why? Because he can't do anything but tell the truth. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself that where I am, there you may be also. This is Emmanuel talking. This is the very source of life talking. This is the promised fulfillment of the prophets talking. This is that baby grown up and now preaching. And he says, I'm going away, but am I going away? That just simply means I'm coming again. And when I come again, where I am, there you will be also. And where God is, there is no more death. There's no more sin. There's no more sorrow. There's no more night. 
Because the Lamb who is light is there. And because God who is life is there. And the Son says, that is what I am coming for. I came once for that purpose. I will come again for that purpose. I have prepared that place so that you might live. Brothers and sisters, we need to believe that. We need to know that. We need to live like that. Again, I I don't know all that this year has in store for. I I hope next December 26th that we're either all in heaven together or all here together. That That would be my desire. Let's all go together or let's all stay together. One of the two. Because death and separation bring so much sorrow and so much heartache. A dying world around us and we see the decay all around us. And to some degree it's peddled to us that we we need to be panicked and we need to be scared and we need to be all these things because of all this. And you see that ramping up in cycles that feel like they come every other day now. But as believers, we need to look the world in the face. We need to look death in the face. And we need to say we're not buying it. Because we have life. Life came to be with us. Life died to forgive the sins that caused the death. We're not buying what you're selling. We have Emmanuel. God with us, and someday us with God, and wherever He is, there is life. And so we have hope. We are inherently people of hope because of who He is. Because of two names given to Him at His announcement in Matthew chapter 1, we have, if we didn't have anything else, that's enough. That is enough. There is enough saving truth in Matthew chapter 1 to give us hope. So if you have to memorize three verses, memorize those three. So bear a son, his name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. His name will be Emmanuel, God with us. The life-giving, eternal life-giving God is with us. This baby invaded the temporality of human time so that we might experience the foreverness of eternal life with Him. There can be nothing but hope, brothers and sisters. There can be nothing but rejoicing in this Son of God, Jesus Emmanuel. My prayer for you in 2022 is that this would become the sun in your universe. That everything in your life would revolve around who Christ is. Around the saving, life-giving truth that is Him. That your assurance would be grounded in Him. 
that your hope would be grounded in him. And if those things are true, it does not matter what life brings our way. We know the ultimate truth. Jesus, Emmanuel. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord Jesus, may we not even take your name into our mind or upon our lips without stopping to contemplate what it means. You have saved your people from their sins. And there are others we know, according to your own word, that are not yet of this fold, but you will bring them in with the same certainty that you brought us in. Lord Jesus, saving one, continue your mighty work of salvation among our church and among our community and among the nations in the year to come. And may we be the people of life and the people of hope who say God has come and He was with us. And because He was with us, He brought life again with Him and He will come again. And when He comes again, there will be life without end with Him again. May we bask with hope and joy and assurance in that reality. God, don't let anything distract us. Don't let anything pull us away from those powerful truths. We ask that You would bless, strengthen, and guide our study through John's Gospel in the year ahead. May we uncover more and more of these truths of who You are, Lord Jesus. And may we experience the power of Emmanuel, God with us, and those who already believe. We pray these things not for our sake, but for Your sake. Bless Your people now, I pray as we come to Your table and partake of these elements that preach to us this sermon. That our hope is in the life and in the death, yes, in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We pray this again for Your sake and Yours alone. Amen.